Welcome to the Young Artist Podcast. Uh, today we have a pleasure to, of welcoming you to the final episode of uh, season one. And we have Apex Zero here with us. Hello. Hey. <laughs> it's really great having you. Actually, you're the first uh, musician that is in the podcast with oh, us. Nice. Everybody is, <laughs> has been like a visual artist so far. So could you introduce yourself a little bit and describe your practice in a few words? Sure. Uh, as you said, my name is Apex Zero. I am a multidisciplinary artist, uh, rapper, MC, uh, filmmaker, beat maker. Uh, I, I try to do a lot of different things, um, but yeah, a lot of it comes out of um, hip hop culture, uh, some bass music culture, and uh, yeah, kind of stems out of um, my love for, for hip hop music and hip hop culture. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say it's quite um, socially engaged work and yeah. the stuff I'm doing now is very much about trying to bring together the different elements of the things that I like to do um, in terms of medium in order to kind of push the message I have in a way that I haven't maybe done previously. So trying to bring elements of myself and elements of my work, um, build communities around those things, do a lot of collaborate, uh, collaborative stuff um, to maybe bring in things that I don't have the skill to be able to do. Yes. Um, which then also gives um, myself the opportunity, but gives the project um, a, maybe a, a greater layer of depth because more people have submerged their energy into the project. Um, and I think that as a methodology is something I've, I'm really starting to enjoy and really see the value in. Yeah, it's really amazing. Uh, when I was doing my research, I, sh I saw that you really collaborate with different artists mm -hmm. and it's not only about music, it's also about visuals. How do you approach this sort of collaboration? Um, I, think, I think on one level, from making music and from making film actually, the, there's a lot more kind of honesty about the collaborative nature of of the work, you know, like very few people, uh, musicians will, will make a record alone, you know, like even yeah. if you're a singer songwriter or you produce your own beats or whatever, someone's usually recording you, right? Or, you yeah. know, someone else is um, assisting in something. If you're performing live, you're not doing your sound engineering yourself, you're not, do you know, so that has to, there's, there's a lot more collaborativeness um, in that. I think, especially with hip hop to some degree. Maybe more with bands, that's more sort of obvious, but I think with hip hop, you know, my experience growing up and doing it would be like, there'd be a bunch of us who were rappers, a bunch of us who were producers, DJs, and to, to make a track, someone would come with a beat, a bunch of us would write to it, and that's how we would come up with tracks. Someone else then mixes it, someone else masters it. There's a, usually people involved with promotion, whatever else, and so that kind of, um, I wouldn't necessarily, well, I'd see that so much as a community necessarily, but that sort of team of people involved in a production or something is very normal, I think, for music. Um, and I think with film, again, like, you know, just talking to some people the other day about, like, you know, credits on a film, you know, you, you, you really see um, who's been involved in making a film. And I think that's something, having not studied that or not done sort of many um, kind of sort of bigger scale, uh, I won't go so far as to say blockbusters, but like, you know, I make art films and I make music videos, you know, and we, I come from this kind of background of people doing that very much with a smaller team, but it's still a team, 
Yeah. Um, and so I think that kind of normal way of behaving and acting, when I kind of entered more into a, you know, art world proper, yes. um, I wasn't so aware of how, with painters, for example, or sculptors, how many people are often involved in something that goes under one artist's name, you know? That's true. Sometimes a painter even hires assistants to just make the job for right. him, right? Or yeah. her. Yeah. It's, uh, it's such a common practice. Yeah. And uh, how did you actually get into hip hop in the specific, you know, the genre of hip hop and rapping? Um, I think that's a good question. Um, it's, it's Generationally, I think I was, I'm, I'm relatively young compared to some of the sort of like pioneers of hip hop. And I think the, for me, it was very, it was a lot more mainstream in this country when I was really getting into it. Um, kind of talking like sort of 99, 2000, 2001, it was very established as a, as a genre and as a culture. Um, and I think me growing up multi-heritage in this city, hip hop was a way for me to kind of really connect with my blackness. Mm -hmm. um, and a way for me, you know, it just spoke to me in a way that a lot of other things didn't. And so my brother used to be a DJ um, and he'd have these guys coming around garage, not, not hip hop. And they would come around and just come to the yard and do sets, what we call sets, um, just like recordings and then flowing over the, over the beats, he'd be mixing. And those guys were just amazing to me, just to have these people come in my yard and just be like, um, just rapping and just spitting bars over garage. I was just like, this is this is amazing, you know. And that's how I wanted to do it. And so we'd just go in my room and be writing down little raps and whatever else. And then you know, because it was relatively mainstream, and garage as an as an underground, what would become grime, um, being the thing that was really popping in London at that time, um, it made sense for me when I was younger to be like I, I really got into hip hop first. But that was the thing that kind of drew me in, and there was a, more of a scene around me for garage and for you know what would become grime. Um, but after a while, when I got a little bit older, it was it was a that's very that's very that's quite intimately tied to to, to dances and to clubs. And for me, hip hop, especially at that time, was a lot more something I could listen to and really get into the lyrics. I think I think the more I think the older I've got with this, I think I'm becoming a lot more aware of what really drew me to hip-hop was the lyrics, was the word, right? And the, the wordplay and the skill of a lot of rappers. Um, and I love to make beats, I love to make music, but, and I, and I, and, and I can't um, downplay, I don't want to downplay the power and the importance of the rhythm and of the music um, and how much of a sort of, more than just a tone it sets for the rapper, like that is everything without, without the music, there is no rappers, we'd, we'd be poets, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or we'd be something else, spoken word artists. Um, and so the, the, the importance of the rhythm and the musicality is, is massive, but I really value the intricacy of the skill of being able to combine words in certain ways to move people in the way that rappers do. And I think that's, yeah, I just, I just wanted to be able to do that and I've spent my life trying to figure out how I can do that. Uh, it's really fascinating for me how uh, much uh, value you put in the words that you uh, rap. And I know that you even have like the background in writing, so it's really about like you, you're really focused on the strong message that you want to convey. Mm -hmm. And hearing that 
um, what drew you to hip hop was the sense of community and um, community of uh, black people uh, rapping together and connecting on the level of music. Mm. Do you think like this sense of community is something that you also want to convey to other people? And how does this uh, sense of black people connecting together influences your practice? It's, it's like deeply central to it. Um, I think the it is something I want to convey. And I think I've, again, as I've got older and had time to reflect on it and, you know, lived a life doing this, um, I've become more and more aware of just how important that is to me. Um, and I think the, we live in a, we live in a place, London, England, I guess, more wider and arguably the West in general, like, um, where we live under attack, you know what I mean? And as, as African diasporic people, we are constantly being attacked by systems of power, by hierarchies, by the, you know, the legacy of racism and how that's implemented in the world. And I think us coming together to create things, to, to react to that, to, to, to shelter each other from that, to deal with the, the consequences of that. Uh, hip hop is one of the ways and the means in which we do, you know, and many other things as well. But um, that kind of collectivity of giving alternative ways of seeing ourselves and creating spaces like dances and like raves and like um, ciphers and all these other different things that we would create to express ourselves in a place where you know a lot of time that wasn't allowed to be done you know like to have a space and there's still not enough spaces that we own or that we you know administer properly because yeah. again another part of that is other groups of people kind of what we do is so great people constantly want a part of that and i think one thing that we are as a people is great about us is that we often open that up and let other people in the problem is too often when we let other people in they then try to dictate to us what can and should oh, be done in those spaces over. right yeah. and you know that is what it is but it's also part of the the struggle i try not to use that word too tough no more but as part of the kind of battle of that um that's something we need to navigate. And I think just me being, um, yeah, the, the importance of it for me is huge. And the significance of finding ways for us to unify, to build things for future generations, to create spaces where we can administer and we can you know, set the tone of things of what is important and what should be done and how things should be done. Um, it's deeply important to us as a people. And again, I think what people don't appreciate enough about hip hop again, because of the way it's portrayed a lot of the time to other audiences, is that it's not just something that is for entertainment or it's not just something that can be sold as a product. Of course, like, you know, the material materialism that's combined to the music industry yes. is not necessarily inherent in hip hop. Do you know what I mean? Like, there is, there's definitely this kind of hustler mentality and this kind of commercialized getting money. And again, it, it's tied to a struggle of people who, who sort of historically have been denied wealth, right? Every time we've built things in the West, in Europe, in America, um, too much of the time, those things have been destroyed and taken away from us. And so to, you know, it's that, that is important. It's necessary for people to create spaces in these things. Um, but that community vibe that, you know, coming together to stop violence, not enough people recognize that that is the core essence of hip hop. It was, it, you know, a battle, whether that was dance battle, rap battle, DJ battle, was a way to stop people from having to settle disputes with violence. Like that's a revolutionary act of peace and love 
to to say instead of shooting or stabbing each other, battle and whoever loses has to just swallow that. You know, that's a that's a that's a huge thing to do. Um, and to me, that's like the essence of hip hop. That then also leads back to histories of storytelling and histories of musicality and the rhythms that we play. All of these things are ancient, ancient African indigenous ways of being and communicating, you know, that yeah. it's, it's massive. So let's talk about the transformative power of music and art, mm. because I feel like your uh, music is very much politically engaged. Mm. Um, do you believe in the transformative power of hip hop and how does it work? Is it on the basis of the community or is it on the basis of the lyrics? What's your opinion? Um, I definitely believe in it. I think, I think there was a time when I, well, for a long time I struggled with understanding that power, overstanding that power and, the, and the reconciling whether making art, whether making records, writing lyrics was equivalent to just kind of talking about doing something but not doing it. That's a, to me, that's one of the key like, tenets of hip hop that I've taken is that you have to be real, right? This idea of real, again, that means a lot of different things to different people. But to me, it's that if you, whatever you're saying that you are, you need to embody that, right? Yes. If, you're, if you're saying you're a gangster and you've done all this stuff or whatever, you have to have at least done that. To, to pretend, you know, to pretend is, is to be fake and is to not have the respect of, of people, course, right? Yeah. So if, if I'm out here saying that my work is politically engaged, I need to be politically engaged, right? I need to understand what I mean by politics. I have to understand what I mean by engaged. And so I would spend a lot of time when I was younger involved in different protest movements and involved in different community organizations, becoming the kind of person that I felt I wanted to rap about being, you know? Um, and so I was caught in this tension of like, am I, am I sort of wasting time making art and making music when I should be dedicating more of my time to the kind of works like the Black Panthers or, you know, Land Freedom Armies and all these other different organizations that are out here really creating opportunities for social change, you know? Um, but I think over time I've come to realize just how important art is and can be within those situations and how you know i've seen people change their lives through being inspired to do something by something they've heard in tracks or you know i've it's happened to me like i like hip-hop has has i used to say hip-hop has changed my life but i think it also I, i think it was always my life i think that's something i've always i've come to terms with as well that like i think i was hip-hop before i knew what hip-hop was yeah you know and that sort of inability to conform to certain things, the the need to sort of, you know, set your own tone and, and forge your own path and not be told what to do by authority figures. Even if I'm not the most rebellious person out there, you know, people <laughs> in a, who are a lot more true to that than I am, but like, you know, that need to sort of stand your ground and say, I'm not gonna let you dictate to me who I should be to me is, 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 is hip hop. And I've seen people, I've seen the effects of learning that from people who exist on the other side of the world or exist in different places at different times, people who are no longer even alive, communicate to me through their records that teach me how I need to be in order to uphold that way of being. You know, and that's I've, so interesting. Mm. Can you give any specific example for that? Like some um, lyrics of the artists from the past that really spoke to you in some way? Yeah, I mean, like 
the I mean this these people are alive, but like I mean someone like DMX for example, or someone like Tupac, he died in ninety seven, ninety six or ninety seven, and I was ten years old. Even when I was listening to them tracks at the time, or I was just getting into it, you even though I don't understand exactly what they're saying, you can feel the vibe. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. then the older it's it's wild to me as well that I'm now more than ten years older than Tupac was when he was murdered. And I'm listening, I've listened to his tracks as a 10 year old, as a, as a 15 year old, as a 20 year old, 25, 30, 35 year old. And they, 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 they change yeah. from, as my perspective changes. Um, First it was like the energy of the music. Now it could be the real lyrics. Exactly. Um, and actually I, now I, I look back at it and I, I just, I, I, I'm baffled by how someone that age could, could do so much with their life. You know what I mean? And I think, now, you know, in my thirties, it's wild to think of some of those records that I love so much was made by 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 year olds. Like they were so young yeah. and had lived so much and done so much and been through so much and, you know, grew up in war zones. And um, I'm trying to think of specific lyrics that really sort of stick with me, but um, yeah, for some reason, I, I, can't, I can't think of the top of my head, like a specific lyric. Has he always been the role model in the hip hop world? To a degree, but like, there's so many, yeah. you know, there's so many. Um, Nas, Big Pun, Dead Prez in London, people like Kalashnikov and Skinny Man, Chain of Command is another group people might not know as well, but yeah, Caxton Press, these, like, these guys that like, people either far away or people who are my peers and they're in the scene over here. Um, lyrically, just incredible. Um, and when you're young and you're coming up and you're learning about these things, um, to hear someone say something like, um, I don't want no computer chips in my arms. I don't want to die by a nuclear bomb. I say we all rush the Pentagon, pull out guns and grab the intercoms. Like, yeah, propaganda by, by, by Dead Prez. Like, these lyrics, like, they, they, they shaped who I am. Like, this idea of being uncompromising. And I learned, like, who the Panthers were and who Marcus Garvey was um, through Tupac and through um, Dead Prez. And, when you, when you, I don't know what those names mean, so I have to go and look them up. You know what I mean? I get to talk to the elders about it and who these are, and then I got to go and read the books, and then I got to do the learning. It's like that, that transformed who I am. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that, that, those lessons that they've embedded in those tracks for future generations. That's our generation's, you know, ancient storytellers or our generation's internet. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, and yeah, talking about amazing. the names, what does Apex Zero mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's the apex is like the highest, the highest point, right? The, the, like a peak. The peak, yeah. yeah. Um, and the zero is uh, the number, which a friend of mine really put me onto the meaning of or the significance of zero um, as a the middle point between positive and negative. It's the true beginning. Right, one is not the beginning, the zero is the beginning. Um, it's also circle, right? And so infin infinite, the zero yeah. is infinite. Um, if you have like a, you know, any, you'll know this better than I do, but like the, you have any given length that could be described as like from zero to infinity. And so this kind of zero to the apex encompassing all things. Oh, okay. Is, is, yeah, and they, they kind of play off each other as well because, you know... It's very poetic. I try. <laughs> <laughs> because then also the zero can also be the, 
the the zero can also be infinity right yeah. they can be interchangeable so often sometimes i would say zero apex as well as apex zero um and just to me it's a lot about it's about balance as well of this kind of trying to trying to not be too much of anything but trying to be this zero between absolute positive and absolute negative um to see things as they are to be you know almost in a kind of buddhist sense of just sort of like neutral um but also striving to be the best and the highest of what I can be. Yeah. You know, so, and it, 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 again, the meaning also has changed over years because the more I learn about these things and the more my perspective shifts, I realize that I'm doing things that I might not have even known I was doing consciously with that. Yeah, name. of course. And about revealing personal things while you rap, mm. um, how do you feel about overcoming the fear of maybe showing too much of yourself in art? Mm. Is that something that you struggle with or you just, um, the lyrics come to you and you just want to say it? No, I do struggle with that. I think um, some of my favorite artists are those people who can be extremely candid, you know, and extremely open with yeah. their lives. Um, and I think there's, there's something really powerful about an artist being able to expose themselves to the world. Um, that rawness and that, you know, to, to be brave enough to expose yourself requires a certain level of vulnerability um, and you have to let your guard down. And I think, um, I think something a lot of rappers struggle with, with this idea of, you know, I think, you know, there's, there's, no, there's no question that there is a sort of a masculinity, a certain type of masculinity associated with hip hop, of just kind of, kind of having to be hard and having to be strong yeah. Um, whatever those words even mean, you know, um, which is about protecting your vulnerability. You can't be seen to be soft. You can't be seen to be weak. You've got to be better than everybody else. It's competitive, all this other kind of stuff, um, which I really struggle. I struggle with that also. Um, and so kind of finding the balance between these things is something I've spent a long time wrestling with. Um, but I think there is an extreme power in opening yourself up like that. And I think a lot of the best artists do that. Um, for me, I, I, I do think there's also like a very spiritual process in creation and in lyric writing. And a lot of the time, I'm not sure how, how conscious I am of what I'm writing. I know I might have something I want to say, but the way that it's said and the, the way that things come through, the way that like, if you're writing to a specific beat, the, the beat is arguably being interpreted by you and into your flow and into the words that you're doing. It's like there's this, there's this, there's this collaboration with the world and with the universe and with the spirit that I'm not entirely, I don't entirely know how that works, you know? And so I feel like a lot of the time, I mean, I'm interpreting things and a lot, and I, I thought I would be, I was rapping more about things I wanted to say and things I wanted to do um, and to spread a specific message and talking about the world around me as well as my own life. And I think having done the latest projects, especially I'm looking back and realizing everything I had done was about me, even if it was about other people, because the things I've seen and the things I've had to go through and have gone through and been lucky enough to go through um, have all led me to the point where I'm doing what I'm doing now. And I'm looking back at my previous work and being like, that was how I felt at that time. Even if I don't agree with some of the things that I said, that's who I was. And that's that stage of growth and development that I've had to go through to come to where I am now. And yeah, a lot of it is, is about learning. I think I learn so much about the world through writing about it. 
and through making music and art about it that I think it's it's the it's the main way that I understand what's going on in my life is by making work about it. Please tell me about your recent project, The Drama Warriors Storyteller. Um, yeah, I thought it's a, it's been a real honor to to kind of be the person through which this work has come into the world. Um, and it's been a real lesson um, about, about culture and about history and about making. And yeah, I feel like my, it's, it's, it feels very much like everything else I've been through in life has led up to this project. Um, and that almost like my, everything else was training the skills, the, you know, the, the different mediums I can bring to it, the, the people I've met, um, has all led up to this project. And, um, you know, this idea of the, it's based very much on Chinua Achebe's work, or at least his philosophy or outlook on storytelling. He, he talks about the, the drummer being the person who brings forth the people, the warrior goes forward and fights the war, and the storyteller um, outlives the other two, records the history for future generations to give meaning to the suffering of those people who live on. And when I heard him say those words, having already read quite a bit of his work, um, I realized that that's what I had been trying to do most of my life, uh, or at least most of the time I've been making this work, is to try to embody all of those things. Um, using the music and the rhythm to bring people in whilst embodying it and fighting to make the world more habitable for, for my people. But then the, the artwork lives as a record to be able to say we were here and this is how we lived and this is why we did what we did. Um, and I think that's, yeah, again, that's like to me, that's immensely powerful to, to have someone again, of a previous generation, maybe that's the, that's the example of someone who's no longer alive, yeah. passing on this information to me and being like, this is why we do this. It's not, it's not just to entertain, it's not just to make stuff to dance to, it's, it's a continuation of an ongoing fight, but not only the fight, I think that's a thing as well, for a lot of my life and I've been kind of focused on fighting for us to improve the situation that we live in, but that specific fight is only kind of five, six, seven hundred years old, which of course is a long time. But in the history and the, the long, the bigger view of us as a people, we are thousands of years old, you know, yeah. um, as a human race, but specifically as African people, we are, we are thousands and thousands of years old. And so this period is one small blip of time in who we are as a people. And, you know, to take it even deeper than that, what the universe is and what, you know, uh, if we are connected to the oneness of all existence, this is a very, very small part of that, but it's very important and we're still living through that. And so making work that reflects this way of thinking is, is what I'm trying to do. And it, it didn't necessarily start like that, but this is what I mean about me learning. When I heard those words, I knew I needed to include more drumming in this. I knew I needed to, to, to have the drums as central to this. Yeah. Because um, a lot of the music I made before that was very sort of more hip hop, you know, in the way that I would normally make stuff. And through making the visuals, through making the other pieces of artwork, 
uh, one of my oldest brother, Omawale, the Yamela drummers, my brother, uh, Denver Tiong, uh, Musa Dembele, these people have become really, really vital to helping me learn what that means to drum and to dance to that and to and what the power of the spoken word is within that um, cipher and circle that we are creating. Uh, so what um, parts of your African-Caribbean heritage you bring to um, life through the drummer warrior storyteller? Is it like about the drums and about the music and dance or mm. which parts are those? I think it's all of it. I think that's, again, that's, that's, what, I'm, that's what I'm learning is that who, who I am as a person is, I, I am my ancestors, right? I, it's not something like academic. It's not like you, you, you think back and be like, oh, I care about my ancestors. Like they pass on their being through blood, through reproduction, through the stories, through the lessons, through culture. And so whether it's hip hop, whether it's reggae or soca or, or the blues or grime or drum and bass, all of those things are all of the people who contribute to, to forming and building that culture, their ancestors, and a lot of those will be collective ancestors as well. You know, the more you see the interwe interwovenness of human life, um, it's a continuation of the ancient ways and those drum rhythms that we play. You know, someone like Demba, who's a master drummer, he's taught by his master, who's taught by theirs and taught by theirs and taught by theirs. Those rhythms are for specific things, to spread specific messages, to connect with specific deities, uh, to, to, you know, call people together or to, you know, prepare for a ceremony or whatever the, the specific is. He knows those things in great detail. Um, and that's been passed on. Us in the Caribbean have, there's been an attempt to sever us from those relationships. And as a result of that, we've had to create new ones, which is what hip hop is one of those. Um, but also, again, there's a, there's a kind of myth about us that we've lost our ways, but the ways are there, right? They're just demonized by the colonizer, essentially, yeah. right? And so, something like the Haitian Revolution, for example, a lot of the revolutions and the uprisings that we had in the Caribbean, central to that was this drumming, was this ritual, was this, um, these rhythms and these stories and this method and modes of telling stories and, and communicating in ways that others can't comprehend to channel the spirit to achieve particular things. These ways were demonized, but I've learned over my life that these are the ways of our ancestors and we need to value them in a way that does them real justice. Um, and the power of those things, if we, can, if we can harness them, this will make the kind of impact that I feel needs to be made. Um, it's not about looking backwards, it's about acknowledging that in looking backwards, we can truly look forward. That, that, again, even like perceptions and overstandings of time, if we think about things in a Eurocentric way and are bound to Eurocentric ways of doing things, that won't achieve what we need to achieve as a people if we can act in our own ways, move in our own ways, perceive our lives and our being in a way that is aligned with the ways of our ancestors, the paths towards a future that we need will become clearer. And that to me is like the, the true essence of this, of this project. And so 
almost like recalibrating the way that I think and the way that I live and the way that I focus my being is an African way of doing things, is an African Caribbean way of doing things. The rhythms that we play, because they're so ancient, you'll hear ragga rhythms and you know more traditional soul rhythms, which are the hip hop rhythms, as well as trap and grime and drill, if we want to bring them in. And every time we install the album, we install the project somewhere, whether, we're, whether that's through a film screening or through a live performance, or the full theater show or you know however we do them each one is unique and each one is different because it's the project is alive it has a life of its own beyond yeah. me and beyond any of us who were involved and so each time we do that the vastness of rhythms and cultures within the Afri within Africa and within the African diaspora and other indigenous communities because you know there are, there are Asian people involved in this a lot of us are sort of multi-heritage from different places and we bring that to this you know including my you know my English and Irish heritage is also part of that I talked a lot about about my grandparents and when I talk about my grandparents and my ancestors I'm not dividing you know what I mean like yeah. the, my, my you know I'm in a very kind of odd but also very normal situation where I am at the same time first generation Grenadian migrant to the UK yeah but I'm also deeply rooted here through the other side of my family mm. and so this idea of not I don't have to choose between which I am that's who I am yeah you know um and someone like my brother Muti who's involved he's from Burundi and Korea and so in the way that he does his movement in particular he channels um indigenous Burundi dance and movement but is also greatly influenced by his Korean heritage. And so the, the amount of people we have involved and ways we have involved, it's very much like a unity of people embodied within this project, but with African practices as the center. And to me, that is a, that's a powerful thing to create, to not have kind of Eurocentric ways of doing things and thinking as the core being behind what we're doing things having Africa as the center and African diasporic ways of doing things as the center point that others can contribute to if they feel the pull to be aligned with it and as long as they respect the space. In terms of sharing the ideas, um, do you believe that in the era of internet and social media it is easier for artists with strong message to share their ideas or social media actually makes it more difficult like how important is it nowadays to you um that's a good question i i think i think all of these things i don't, I don't think there's a, i don't think there's one answer to these things i think that's also something i'm really learning is that i don't think there is a single answer to any to many questions um and so I think on one level, social media can be a great tool for people. I think, you know, those people who have really learned how to use it um, can really sort of get a message out there. I know when I was younger, it was, I felt very much like a lot of the work I was making was about exposing the lives that we lived to more mainstream audiences because it wasn't spoken about. This idea of like representation on TV or radio yeah. or something like that. Um, 
I felt like very much the, the media of that time in the kind of late 90s, early 2000s was very orchestrated, right? To create a particular way of perceiving any given place. Yeah, that's so true. Right? It was so, so Britain had a very clear way it wanted to be perceived by the rest of the yeah. world and its media reflected that and we weren't part that's of that. That's very true. Right? And so a lot of the work was about demonstrating to, 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 to ourselves and to others that we are also here. You know, something like NWA, where they call themselves ghetto, ghetto journalists almost, do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? And this idea of being like, there's, a, there's America as America is told to the rest of the world, but then there's the hood. They don't talk about us. They don't show that we exist, but we're here and these are what our lives are like. Um, I feel like that has changed drastically because of social media and because of the internet, right? That people can sort of demonstrate. And, and actually, in many ways, everything is now on display, you know, yes. and kind of everyone is telling their own story, right? However, that is also now becoming orchestrated, right? And there are a handful of companies really who have complete say over how YouTube works, how it, whatever other app yeah. works, right? And these algorithms and these other things of, of, of sort of controlling these things. And I think on one level, we're all kind of being, or many of us who actually engage in it are having our own way of perceiving the world told to us through the internet and through social media. And so if everyone has their own individualized, cultivated way of thinking the world is, which is being communicated to them through their device, are you really spreading a message or are you really getting a message out there? Or is it, or is it just reaching the people who those companies want it to reach so that they engage more with those apps. Yes. Do you know what I mean? I think, I, think it's, I think it's a lot more complex than a lot of us appreciate. Yeah, I agree. They sometimes just push into our face like the people that we don't necessarily want to see or we're interested in. Right. But they are just more popular or more, you know, orchestrated, yeah. as you said. Yeah, but also, also to, there's a lot of work that has shown, there's a particular term for it, but it's something like the power of negativity, right? So like if you, it's not even that you're shown the stuff that you will like. You're shown the stuff that you won't like because yeah. people comment more on stuff they dislike than on stuff they do like. That is the power of hate, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. right? And so, and so I think that's also, it also contributes to so many people feeling like their way of being is under attack because they're shown whether, whether you're a, you know, whether, I don't want to you know, specify any specific groups, but lots of groups of people feel like they are under attack because they see and are told that on, they're told that social media is the world, right? And that whatever you're seeing now is a representation of what is happening in the world. And almost in, in, in many, 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 many cases, that is that your way of life is under threat. And so you must engage more in this to fight this battle on the internet with the group that is threatening your way of being. Yeah. And now everyone's just fighting and arguing on the internet. Whereas like when you just take that moment to kind of come off, come off that and walk around in the world, much like when I was young, what was happening on the television did not reflect what was happening in the real world. And equally, what is happening on your phone or your device is not necessarily what's happening in the rest of the world, you know? That's um, true. Like recently, everybody went crazy for the submersible, right? Mm. And there were so many more important things happening in the world, mm. but sort of this topic took over. Mm. And like, we have nothing to do with it right, right here in the UK. Mm -hmm. I mean, all kind, there's all kinds of things. And I, I think that's yeah. one thing I, I feel like for me, like traveling around the world has really shown me and taught me is that something can be massively important in the UK and you think the world is, 
everyone's looking at this and everyone, this word, this, this use, everyone. Everyone did everyone. this, everyone it's did everywhere. that. everywhere. <laughs> and I went to go live in China and no one gave a fuck about what was happening in the UK. Yeah. No one. And so that's two countries. How many countries, how many places are there? How many regions of places are there? Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah, it's a, it, it all goes a lot deeper. But yeah, I think, I think like many things, it's a tool. And if you can find, if what, if what you're trying to achieve can be helped by learning how to use that tool effectively, cool. You know, if you're trying to achieve something different, then there might be a different way to achieve that, you know? And I like, I'm not gonna sit here and say that, you know, having numbers on Spotify or any platform is not important to people's careers and to people's lives. Um, and to success, if, however you define success. But I think one thing for me is that like, and it's not to say I don't spend money or time promoting my stuff, but I don't make those things the be all and end all of what I define as success. You know, I will, I will put the work in that I can to promote my work, but to me, it's much more important to spend my time making great quality work to refine what it is that I'm doing and saying and to connect with people and build things rather than present that to the world in a way that makes me look good. You know? It's a very good summary. Yeah. yeah, I feel like it's a very sane approach to the media, in fact. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to do. And I think, yeah. I think, again, even that word sane, I don't know if I'm sane. I don't know if anyone's sane. I don't know what sane means, but like, um, yeah, I just think, I think if you, if, if you, if you invest too much time and effort in one specific avenue that avenue might disappear overnight especially now like i've seen people sink their lives into something like myspace and then overnight myspace is no longer the thing i remember when everyone everyone i remember when people <laughs> would say that snapchat was what you had to do yeah to be relevant and then within six months it's something else and within six months it's something else you know and so yeah, I just think, to me, I'd, I'd much rather focus on making the work and then maybe figuring out if I can find people to help me do those things. Because it's a full-time job. I, I, I see people, true. yeah, really, like, you know, and I think that's also something if people are going to learn from other people's lives of being an artist. Like, I think a lot of artists have to spend a lot of time doing things that is not making art yeah. in order to survive in the world. You know, it's I mean, advertising, it's yeah. promoting, talking to people. Yeah, it's having a job. It's having a job at a university. It's having a job at you know, you know, as a post worker or, or whatever it is you're going to do. Like, if you're not wealthy enough, and you have to work, whether that's whether you you know, again, for some people to generate income from their art is the most important thing because they're poor. Whereas if you're wealthy you might have a bit more of a luxury to just make work and people will come to you, yeah. you know? And so I think, yeah, people need to do what's needed for their circumstances, but yeah, I just think like anything, you know, I, I wouldn't encourage people to let that take over their lives or define who they are or define what success is to them. I think it's important to define those things for yourself. So in terms of people who are starting their careers, do you have any advice for the emerging artists? Yeah, I think one, dedicate yourself to your craft. I think that's really important. And I think, again, defining what your craft is, is up to you. I think it's important to sort of study, and I don't necessarily mean going to university or to anything like that. I think it's important to study your craft. Um, 
you know, I spent a long time listening to albums over and over and over again to understand how they were made. And I think, you know, really delving deep into it and learning through practicing, learning through doing, you know, you can, you can, you can be told how to do something over and over again, but you can't really master it until you do it. And I think seeing that as a lifelong pursuit is the only real way to do that, you know? And it can change, it can develop, it can grow. That's the point of how you define something for yourself. It's not like, I'm gonna do this, and I'm gonna stick to that and only that for the rest of my life. It's learning what that is will be um, your choice and your journey. Um, but I think something I wish I had learned earlier is that if you can kind of figure out where you wanna be early the path to get there becomes clearer you know so if yeah. if, if, if if success to you or you know a, a good life is you know selling paintings for 10 million every time or something like that cool there's a way to do that there is ways to 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 make that happen if that's what you want to achieve and you set that out the path to get there will become clear to you eventually you will have to do things that you might not be willing to do. And you have to also learn where to draw your lines yeah. and be like, I'm not gonna do that. And if you say, I'm not gonna do that, you might not get to that thing, but there might also be another route to get there. But at least that's clear right. which route you yeah. need to take. Yeah. I think a lot of my life, I spent time not really quite knowing what I wanted to achieve. I was just kind of doing things. You know, I wanted to make music, so I know I made music. I, I wanted to learn how to, um, you know, <laughs> um, change society so I needed to understand what society was and I, I, you know so I was kind of go, going from thing to thing to thing to thing and that's what I mean about the training I feel like I'm at a point in my life now where I know what I want to achieve a lot more clearly and so I can figure out what I need to do whereas I think some people I, I know who've been very successful and I don't necessarily mean making money or having a particular type of career I mean people who've achieved the things that they wanted to achieve they knew what they were striving for and they went for it and they went for it with conviction, you know, and that's not easy to do. Not a lot of people have that vision. That's true. Um, but that's, I think... That's a very useful and great advice. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you. And the last question, um, which I think will be really interesting to most of the listeners. First writing lyrics, then composing music, or first composing the music <laughs> and then writing lyrics? <laughs> It can be either, it changes. Okay. Yeah. So sometimes um, there's been times when I've just written, especially like something like, like a piece of poetry, for example, um, and then fit the music to it. Or most of the time I'd say someone will send me a beat or I will make a beat and I will write to that beat. But then it also, that isn't often, the, that often isn't the final thing that comes out yeah. of it. Do you know what I mean, you will always, in the mix or in the version, like for example, that track, track Seventh Dimension I put out recently, that was a completely different track. I'd made the beat maybe 10 years before. It felt like it really fit on the album. So I wrote lyrics to it. I needed to have gone through a specific set of experiences to be able to make those lyrics. And it finally, I couldn't write to that beat for years. And then yeah. eventually I had a set of circumstances in um, Venezuela, in the Amazon, where the original sample also came out of the Amazon. And it was almost like I connected to that um, way of life or way of being and wrote something about that and it fit. But then when I met Musa Dembele and he played on the Kora, which is a storytelling instrument, 
I needed to change it. I needed to, it just worked so much better. Yeah. So we switched it up completely, got in the studio and rearranged it. So often it's like a back and forth. Amazing. So it's really organic process. Yeah, it changes from t t other times. I will just write to a beat on the spot in the studio. Bang, we record it. That goes out into the world. Do you know what I mean? And so it's very fluid. It changes. Thank you so much. It was the most amazing conversation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for uh, joining us in the Young Artists podcast and to all the listeners, uh, listen to Apex Zero on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music. Did I forget something? <laughs> it's everywhere. I hope I, yeah. It's on some platforms that aren't as famous too. So I like, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it's, it's funny when I was younger, I, I refused to put my stuff on those platforms. And then at some point I was like, you know what? Least, some people only listen to their stuff on it. So okay. <laughs> some, some other things as well. So hopefully you can find it. Research Apex Zero. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you very much for listening to us and this is the final episode of the season one and we will really surprise you with some fun stuff uh, in September. Bye! <laughs> <laughs>